Human individuals, welcome to T3G Tangents. This podcast will be a little bit different as this was broadcast live on Caffeine and there are pauses where I was waiting for audience interaction. I hope this does not affect your enjoyment of this and I hope that you enjoy the show. Welcome, welcome ladies and gentlemen to T3G. Today is a very special day. Today is the first day of Daily Coffee. Uh, for those watching later in the future, Daily Coffee is what will hopefully be a daily show of various different topics by various different presenters on Caffeine.tv. So make sure you check us out, Caffeine.tv slash T3G Media, Mind Blaster, a bunch of other people. We'll, uh, we'll link down below for all that stuff. But today, ooh, yes, yes, you can't hear me. The, the broadcast can't hear me. Can you hear me now, broadcast? Excellent. Yes, so, for those watching in the future, all those links are in the links down below. For those listening in the future, the T3G Tangents channel is going to have all the visuals for this. We're just going to be talking some comic books today. And welcome, Bahamadada. We are going to be doing some discussions. Pardon the mess. This is my artwork for a different video series. But I figured it was apropos to leave it there since it is all my artwork is very much comic book based and I wanted to kind of keep the theme going. Oh, interesting. The app's not hearing me. Well, I don't know. <laughs> that sounds like something to be taken up with caffeine. So today uh, we're going to be talking about a few different things. Uh, today we're going to be talking about a few different things primarily. Uh, the Tyrants book, uh, I'll be honest, this is something that has been a long time coming. I have uh, promised, let's see, I'm going to pull this up, Tyrants issue 3, I believe is on Kickstarter. Uh, Kickstarter. Uh, Tyrants, yes, Hollow Harbor. Hollow Harbor is the company that makes this series. They... They, they, they shared these with me. These were provided for free, uh, and I think that was very nice of them uh, because we have a channel and all that good stuff. Uh, we, we, uh, we said we would do a review. Uh, never got around to it, honestly. This was provided about a year ago, if not longer, and uh, I think issue three is on its way or is out. I'll be honest with you. I'm going to check because I want to give you the proper information. Tyrants... Let's see. So it's uh, hollowharbor.com. I actually really like their logo. I'm going to show you guys that. I really like the Hollow Harbor logo. It's very, it's very classy. It feels like a film studio. Let's see here. Twitter. I'm trying to find it. I thought they had issue three. Hmm. Very interesting. Well, anyway. I'll have all the links below, of course, hollowharbor.com for those listening. Uh, but what I wanted to talk about is, th so this book, and then we'll also be talking about The 27 Club and Two Guns, the graphic novel, but we'll, we'll get to those in a minute. Tyrants. Tyrants is a medieval fantasy kind of style series uh, set uh, in a world where... I'll be honest with you, I haven't quite grasped if this, these eight islands, and I'll show you, this is their little 
if the, I'm not sure if these eight islands are all there is, but it's it's this is where it takes place, and this is these various let's call them baronies. You have different rulers of each island, and there is one island to rule, or one ruler of, above all, kind of a a king of kings, and. There is a really cool concept. This grabbed me right out the gate. Two pages in. So, the, actually one page in. He says, I ask you how, I ask you, I, I can't read. <laughs> I'd ask you how you feel, Adam, but I don't, but I remember even now. It's like I've never used a muscle in my life. Exactly. Perfect. Right. I'm, I'm paraphrasing while I'm reading. This is ridiculous. He says, who came to you? Alric. How many generations back? And right there, I was intrigued. Because, what does that mean? He says, eight, seven from you. And he says, what did you get? And he says, I can turn to smoke. So he takes this ancestral bath and comes back with an ancestor's knowledge and abilities ridiculous i was sold i was already in i was deep in and we were only two pages in i was so excited it goes on to to talk about a lot of um political intrigue if it were uh, royal happenings you know there were deposings and rulership changes and all that sort of stuff and and it's very very interesting and in the middle of it is this this young man who is just trying to figure out what he wants out of life and i love it and it's you know it gives you this kind of realistic perspective of like i'm just i just kind of want to go out and do stuff i want to go out and experience the world i want to go out and experience these islands and meet girls and do stuff cool you know and, but at the same time there are responsibilities and his father is trying to regain his title he was he was the king of kings at one point was deposed and now there is a different king of kings and he's trying to balance these things while at the same time just trying to exist because this is a universe where there are giant zombie bears and that's what happens in issue two is he's uh, he's out and about in, in the woods and there is a giant zombie bear and it's something he's got to deal with and there's there's castle break-ins and all sorts of stuff um and everyone every every uh, every one of these um Zombie bear, not here for this. I understand, Abigator. It's very quick. The zombie bear is dispatched forthwith. However, the cool thing is that every single one of these factions, let's call them, has their own ancestral abilities. The, the, they go visit uh, the, the ladies. There's a queen, her daughters. Uh, one of the daughters transforms into a... She's a lichen. She transforms into a wolf. And you just have all these really cool things. And what I love about it is that the art is so on par with with major productions i mean i'll give you guys a close-up here it's it's on par with major productions it actually right off the bat reminded me uh i think his name is clayton clayton henry then that, that may be right hold on i'm actually gonna have to look that up uh no i don't think it's clayton henry uh, clayton henry i think that's the image was that it Maybe that was it. That was it, yes. Clayton Henry's early stuff. Uh, he's done Marvel stuff. He's done DC stuff. All sorts of stuff. Uh, he did a lot of stuff for um, the return of... Oh, what, 
is it no Valiant? I couldn't think of the couldn't think of the the name. Valiant Comics uh, made a comeback in the two thousands, and uh, he did a lot of work for them. So it, his art reminded me of of Clayton Henry, and this is uh, an artist named. You'll have to forgive me. I don't know if I can pronounce this correct, but it is Esau Figueroa. Hopefully that's correct. And uh, it, it very much kind of drew me in because it's crisp, it's clean, and, you know, for, for a book that's unknown, you know, if you're grabbing the first two, I think, like I said, I think there's a third issue, either on Kickstarter or it's come out, um, you're, you're, you're getting information that... You know, you're getting a book that you don't know about. You don't, you don't know if it's going to be good. So the bonus of, hey, I've got really good art, it sells it, right? You know, if you're looking at somebody, you know, you're, the, the, biggest, the biggest challenge at a comic book convention is to walk down the aisles and say, man, this art's not really drawing me in. So the story has to be the pitch. But, that, but then when... See, the dogs are going to be a problem because this is live and I'm recording this live and there will be no editing. So dogs, shh, keep it quiet. But yes, the, the art is really good. The story is really intriguing. I will say the first time I read it, it felt, I recall feeling that the language used was a little modern for my tastes. Um, it, it felt like, you know, people, it felt like modern people were just talking. It, it did not feel like it was a medieval setting or a, you know, kind of Renaissance era, uh, speech. But then when I read it the second time, I didn't get that at all. So I don't know, you know, what changed for me personally, but that's the other kind of thing to consider when reading comics is that your perception is going to change. That's why I love rereading my old books. I've got a shelf upstairs of just a ton of graphic novels. I actually, this is why they gave this to me for free. I said, I don't collect singles. Like, I, it sounds really cool, but I don't collect singles because I, I don't have boxes. I don't keep boxes anymore. Um, you know, I, I, but they were like, here, check it out. We want, we want you to read it. So that's why they gave it to me for free, which, uh, again, was really cool of them. But it's one of those things I'm like, now I'm in a position where I have these floppies, and they're just kind of sitting around collecting dust because I don't have a shelf space for them, and, you know, they don't really do shelf very well they don't they don't shelf very easily <laughs> so that's uh that's my thoughts on that it's a really really good series check it out of course links below for those listening in the future i'll leave this one for last because it's the most special to me honestly of, of these books it is the most special two guns i did not know this was a comic book movie uh two guns is a movie that was it starred Denzel Washington and Mark Wahlberg, two people who I greatly admire in the acting world. Denzel is personally one of my heroes. And it was good. It was fun. It was entertaining. Didn't really think much of it. This, I think, was equally as good. I don't think it was better. There's a lot of times where you have situations where... Oh, you know, the story is so much better in the book. You know, it's, it's so much more detailed, so much richer. Nah, it really wasn't. It was, it, I think it played out pretty much the same way. I think it, the art really fits the theme, the, the theme and the style of the story. It's, it's kind of a, I don't want to say grizzled story, but it's, it is, I mean, if you've seen the movie, it is what it is. It's, you know, 
cop versus cop. They're both undercover. They both are kind of being played by different people. You know, and you plow along until you figure out who the actual bad guy is. And that's, that's kind of what it is. And that's the story. It's a pretty basic story. It's not, you know, it's not super deep or rich or anything like that. But it's just a fun romp. And what I didn't know is that they actually made a sequel called Three Guns, which we'll be talking about another time. But the really cool thing here is, I think with the medium, specifically, you know, comic books not really having production budgets in the long run, uh, you end up with really cool stuff that you can't do. I mean, there's way more explosions, I think, in this than there was in the movie. Uh, you know, you shoot people in the face and you <laughs> you light people's faces on fire. Uh, that kind of stuff is not really uh, PG-13 friendly, and uh, I think it was a PG-13 movie. So, you know, you get to do stuff that is, uh, is a little more hardcore than, uh, than, than you would see in the movies. But beyond the, the additional kind of gratuitous violence and gratuitous... Uh, Semi-nudity. It won't, it's not, you know, it's not an R, it's not a mature-rated book or anything. Um, it, it's, it's, I would say it's equally. It's, it's one of those things. Like it's a light-hearted kind of action-adventure romp, and it's, it's just a fun read. I've read it twice already. It's just a fun read. It's, it's like even though I know what happens, even though I know who the bad guy is, I still even I think there was probably maybe less than a year between the two, two times I read it. And I still got a little more out of it. You know, I kind of got the nuances of how they set things up and how they telegraph certain things. I get it. You know, I, I, I get more out of every time I read a book. I've read, uh, there's comic books that I've read from my, my early start reading when I started reading in the 90s, 96, I think, is when I started reading, like, heavily. And I read comics from them, and I'm just like, man, like, see what they did there. Like, you, you have a different perspective. You know, even I've, I've read it, six, seven, eight, nine times at this point, but then I, I read it again, you know, it's been 15, 20 years, and I'm just like, man, I didn't catch that before. So it, you get a different perspective as, as, as you grow, and I think it's cool. I think it's a, it's a really cool, really cool thing to like, and it works for books, of course, but I think with comics, there are things that you can do that you, can, you just can't do with, with books. There's a visual aspect to it that it's hard to replicate in, in, in books. There are, I mean, unless you're like a Heinlein or a, or a J.R.R. Tolkien, where you would describe down to the leaf <laughs> the, the entire scene and you see exactly, like, you can't help but to see exactly what's going on. Um, I'll, I'll attribute that, that to, um, uh, oh my goodness, what's her name? Harry Potter. Help me out, Abigator. Help me. Um, what is her name? My goodness. I'm going to have to look it up. I'm going to have to look it up. <laughs> Harry Potter author. J.K. Rowling. Yes. See? I said Tolkien. It, it took me... Anyway. So J.K. Rowling uh, did, did the same thing. Uh, I read two, two chapters of one Harry Potter book. And that was the... Goblet of Fire. And when I watched the movie, it was verbatim what I saw up here. It was exactly how I had pictured everything when they first cast Harry Potter. I was like, yeah, that's, that's the kid. Wow, that's really good. Like, I, I had never seen a better casting based on 
no previous visual information besides a description. So to see uh, Daniel Radcliffe on screen as Harry Potter, it was amazing. It was amazing. Because it was, you know, again, I've read two chapters at that point. And at this point, I've never read a Harry Potter book. They're way, they're way too long for me. <laughs> but the description and the, the, the actual, the way it's done in the book is so well done that it, it's not really a hard job. Like, oh, so we need somebody who's about XYZ old. Uh, he needs to have kind of this look or we need to make him look this way. Like when you have that detailed of a description, I don't know anyone that read religiously the Harry Potter or the uh, Lord of the Rings books. I mean, uh, I don't know anyone that religiously read the Lord of the Rings books that was like, oh man, like Gandalf should have looked, looked different. I'm pretty sure everyone was like, wow, they really brought Middle Earth to life. Because there's so much detail. Now granted, there's, there's socio-economical elements to that, right? There was reasons why there was so many words and so much description. Back in those days when those books were published in short form, uh, it was very much per word. You got paid per word. So you, they, they would publish these, you know, three, four page things. But the more you did that, you know, the, the more you got paid. So you ended up doing these really, really long series. That's why you have the, the I mean, like even Heinlein, uh, one of my favorite social, uh, sci-fi uh, writers, he does a really good job describing everything. I, I mean, there's so many stupid little details. Um, I think the most recent one that I read of his was, uh, and uh, I feel, fear no evil. That's what it's called. Uh, really cool, really interesting uh, concepts about sexuality. Uh, really, 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 really good book. But there are so many tiny, tiny details about how how the economy works. You know, it's set in like a futuristic kind of time. So like how the economy works and how. You know how monetiz you know monetization and stuff is done. Like it's so so intricate that like if they did a movie tomorrow, it'd be really hard not to be really hard not to get it right. You know, it's here it is exactly how it is on on paper. So it's it's harder to do that in books. Welcome, Mangubi, to the broadcast. We're talking comics. We're talking stories. So. Um, yeah, it's, it's much harder to do that in, 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 I think, the written form. In comics, it's like, here, this is what this should look like. This is what this, you know, essentially this is a, a breakdown of a movie. This is the, what's the word I'm looking for? This is a storyboard. You can take any, any completed story, any completed graphic novel and say, this is the storyboard. And we're just going to essentially do our best to recreate this shot for shot. If you look at something like Watchmen, Watchmen is an excellent example of that because Watchmen was essentially recreated shot for shot. Barring some like updates to technology and things like that, Zack Snyder did an outstanding job presenting that shot for shot and making it look as good and as crazy as the comic felt at the time. Now, we're going to move to this book. This book is very, very special to me. This is a book edited by Enrica Jang. It features writing by a friend of mine, Jenny Wood. If you don't know the Flutter comic, please check that out. Uh, Flutter comic on Facebook and you'll 
You'll get to all the rest of that information from there. The 27 Club, and I want, I'm, I'm going to pull this up, so I don't want to give you a, a paraphrasing of what, what I know it to be. The 27 Club. So let's see here. The 27, this is per Wikipedia, the 27 Club is a list of popular musicians, artists, or actors who died at the age of 27. It originated with an unsupported claim of a statistical spike for the death of musicians at, de at that age, but has been repeatedly disproved by research. It remains a culture meme, documenting the deaths of celebrities, some noted for their high-risk lifestyles. Names are often put forward for inclusion, uh, but because the club is entirely notional, there is no official membership. So, essentially, the idea, welcome Mr. Vegetables to the broadcast. We're talking comics right now. We're talking The 27 Club, edited by uh, a lovely human being, Enrica Jang, and featuring the writing of a friend of mine, uh, Jenny Wood. Uh, it is an anthology uh, essentially of different writers and artists taking a look at the 27 Club. So there are stories about uh, various members of the 27 Club. Uh, let's see here. Yeah, so Janis Joplin. Let's see here. Amy Winehouse, Jimi Hendrix, uh, Jim Morrison. Those are all members of the those are all members of the 27 Club, and there is, a, a, there is various stories from various creators' points of view. Welcome, Coco, to the broadcast. We're talking The 27 Club, a graphic novel uh, that talks about The 27 Club, which is a kind of meme, meme group of uh, musicians and creators that have died at the age of 27. Um, but yeah, there's different takes, and it's various different art styles, so everything from from black and white, and this uh, this is about, is this Elvis? This might be Elvis. Yes. Anyway, yeah, there's various, various uh, characters, various different styles, but it's all these different takes and kind of interpretations of what some people think might have happened and how some of these people ended up. You know, there's, there's a lot of uh, conjecture. You know, some people say that, the 27 Club happens because these people make a deal with the devil. And like, you, you know, you burn bright when you die young. Um, and that's, there's all these different tellings of kind of that concept and other various concepts. There's some that's just, uh, that's just prose. Um, for instance, this is just prose with a, with a sing, single piece of art. This is obviously Amy Winehouse. Um, and there's, some of it is just kind of opinions on the subject, not even fictional tales. Uh, but a lot of it is fictional storylines, uh, kind of describing what happened and describing what, uh, what people believed the, the situation was around that death. Um, I really, really dig this book. I don't know a lot about a lot of characters. That's a lot, a lot of uh, musicians. Um, I call them characters because it's, you know, it's a comic book. But I don't know a lot about a lot of musicians. I, I, I've you know, delved deeper into certain uh, artists that I, you know, feel a connection with of some sort, but otherwise I don't really, like, especially rock, honestly, I don't dig deep into rock artists just because rock is not my primary kind of fan base. So a lot of rockers, a lot of rock 
musicians are kind of in the 27 club and there can be arguments made about why you know you, you could be talking about why it's a why it's kind of fallen to these young 27 year old rockers to end up essentially dying young because of the hard rock lifestyle and you know that th these conversations have been had and can be had at any time um, but that's kind of really cool to see different people's perspectives you know there's at least by my count there's at least six or seven Janis Joplin stories and I don't know anything about Janis Joplin like legitimately don't know anything about Janis Joplin so to see like all these different perspectives and then kind of connect it all to see kind of what she was viewed as by her fan base it's really cool it's a really cool experience see Abigator knows Abigator knows Janis uh, but I, like I said it's, it's a really 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 amazing book it's it's a fun read it's a fun reread i mean there's just like i mean look at this this is like the strangest thing and you see obviously the the gods there crying for Jimi hendrix it's amazing it's just really a lot of it's just symbolism a lot of it is is just again it's just that creator's perspective on this specific subject and it's just a really really cool read so yeah that those are our topics welcome devious how are you doing today welcome to the broadcast those are our kind of scripted topics now i will put it to the audience i'm glad to hear you're fine devious today we've been talking about some comic books some graphic novels uh tyrants two guns and, and kind of an adaptation of, of, of fictional writing to to film and 27 club which is uh about the, the, the kind of meme idea that a lot of artists and musicians and, and, and celebrities who uh, die at the age of 27, and for various reasons, and really, really cool interpretations from different artists. This is an, anth this is an anthology, this is a completed storyline, and then this is an upcoming series, not upcoming, but in, a pr in progress series. There's only two, maybe three issues. I think the third one uh, is either on Kickstarter or has just finished being Kickstarted. Tyrants 1, 2 funded. Man, I really want to find Tyrants 3. I don't know why it's not coming up. It's very strange. <laughs> Let's see. Let me pull it up. Pull it up. It's their Facebook, maybe? So at this point, uh, we've covered these, and this is kind of my, my thoughts on this. And I would put it to, to our audience, anyone in the room, anyone in the room, figuratively speaking, uh, that wants to discuss these or any other comic books. Yeah, it says... Tyrants issue three coming spring 2018, so it should be coming soon. Um, let's see, yeah, it should be coming soon. Very, very excited for that book. Very, very excited for that book. I love this 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 budding universe. Uh, so if anyone wants to join me and discuss uh, comics as a whole, or these comics, or their favorite comics, uh, that's kind of uh, where we're going to take this. Uh, every week we're going to be talking about some comics that I have, some some stuff that I've read either newer stuff or older stuff, uh, indie, major, it's going to vary, um, literally just going alphabetically. That's why these two were the first, they're the first two books on my shelf. That's all it was. There was no other, uh, is there a difference between comics and graphic novels? In actuality, there is not. Uh, comics are, traditionally speaking, comic books are these. Technically speaking, 
This was, what is it? This was collect, this collects the, the, what is it? Six issues or whatever. Regardless, let's say this collects the six issues of the Two Guns comic. This technically then becomes a graphic novel only because it is a complete story. That's it. That's really the only thing that's, that's identified graphic novel to anything else. The, the earliest use that I can find uh, was a series that Marvel did in, I think they started in about the 70s, um, when it was kind of standalone storylines, and it was just like a little bit bigger, a little bit longer story. Physically, it was a larger book. Um, yeah, absolutely. DBS has got it. You know, it, it's, it is, it is a, a novel, but graphic, visual in, in, in term. Um, but I think what really, like I said, I think what really started it off was uh, Marvel did this series called the Marvel Graphic Novel. Um, they just started, I, I want to say it was like 73, 74 is when they started. And they were just one-off standalone stories. One of, one of the greatest stories of all time, uh, God Loves Man Kills. Uh, it's an X-Men book. It was Marvel graphic novel number nine. And it was just a standalone, uh, not code, which is very important. It was a, it was a little more risque. I even think uh, for the shock value, I think, in, in the moment, I think the N-word was used, if I'm not mistaken. Hold on. I actually have it. Um, let's, let's poke around and take a look at this. But yeah, so I think that's when it started because it was kind of longer format. I mean, it was of a difference of it was a difference of you know normally you have these guys are usually twenty two pages. Um, the graphic novels I want to say were either uh, like th it's like thirty eight or sixty four pages. Um, let's see the Marvel graphic novel. Let's let's just pull it up. So I'm not talking up my butt. <laughs> Marvel graphic novels. Um, and see, now when I type that into Google, everything comes up. But the, the actual entry, um, oh, wow, it was way, way later. It was 1982. I, I don't even know what I'm talking about. <laughs> really? I don't even know the number. His X-Men graphic novel number, it was a Marvel graphic novel number five was God Loves Man Kills, apparently. Although I swear it was number nine. I feel like this entry's incorrect. I'm gonna have to, I'll take a look at that. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so it's, let's see. This graphic novel trade paperback. See, that's the thing. In, 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 even in the Wikipedia, they call them trade paperbacks. Traditionally, this is a trade paperback. And essentially, it's the entirety of a storyline in paperback format. That's all it is. Um, so graphic novel kind of supplanted that as a term. I don't lie, I really, really, do I have it? Hmm, it's possible that I don't. Looks like I do have it. Take a look.
But so this was this was the format back in the day. It was a little larger. I think the actual physical size was kind of magazine size. Um, so it was a little. If you were to kind of take these two, it was about. If you took that and kind of made it this big, that's about how how large they were. Uh, and it, you kind of felt special because they were they were different. Like, like I said, they were standalone. Uh, number four was the first appearance of uh, the New Mutants, uh, and it was a standalone thing. And it was not uh, even at the, even at the end. You know, it didn't say like to be continued in X Y Z issue. Uh, they did start a New Mutant series after that, but it says you know it just says the beginning. Uh, and it in that situation, it was uh, kind of an origin point. In uh, God Loves Man Kills, it was a standalone story. It really wasn't meant to be part of the the main lexicon. Uh, it was just a really, really interesting telling. Um, X-Men 2, uh, X-Men United, X2, X-Men United was sort of based on it. Um, William Stryker, who was the general in X2, uh, was the reverend in God Loves Man Kills. And that's why it's called God Loves Man Kills. The whole thing was that uh, Reverend Stryker led a kind of super hardcore religious group that was kind of of the position that mutants are the devil and that was their position and they were they were trying to essentially kill mutants kill all mutants uh as their as their mission statement so it was a really really pointed uh thing it was a you know it was obviously tackling certain things if if you know the the history of the x-men they were originally kind of created as the inherent trying to think of inherent exam like stand in they were, they, that's the word uh hello hannah welcome to the broadcast we're talking comics um the x-men were created as kind of a stand-in for all oppressed groups uh in the in the 60s when they were created they were they were uh, kind of a stand-in uh for commentary on the civil rights movement um you know the 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 comparison has been made uh, by more than one person in the know and, and outside of comics that Xavier and Magneto are just um, Martin Luther King Jr. and Malcolm X. You have the, the peaceful guy and you have the militant guy essentially going and trying to do the same thing, um, but just with two, two various, two very different tactics. Um, so it's, it's and, and then going into the late 90s, early 2000s, uh, the X-Men became more of a uh, representation of of uh, the LGBTQ community, so that was very interesting to see, and you can actually even see it. And I, I don't know how much of this is conscious or intentional, uh, as far as the visual representation. But you can see even uh, in the, let's see here, X Men. So they moved to San Francisco, which is kind of cliche, I guess, if you're going to make that, uh, make that the the comparison, uh, was it Manifest Destiny? It was Manifest Destiny. So not to say that the X-Men in the uh, 90s or any previous time frame, I'll share, try to share this image, make this a little bigger. Um, not to say that the X-Men in any previous incarnation were any, oh, is my camera frozen? We're back. <laughs> um, not to say the X-Men in any previous incarnation were any less bright or any less, uh, you know, visually impactful, but I think it was very interesting to see, uh, for instance, a character named Dazzler uh, manifest 
Destiny, that was the initial storyline. Um, she became incredibly bright. Um, wow, they, this the, I hate websites. <laughs> uh, the way they portrayed her, they always portrayed her with this just incredible rainbow of colors around her, you know, and that was, you know, that's her ability and I understand the, the purpose of it. It was just very interesting to me uh, to see kind of how they switched uh, from from the way they used to portray her uh, of just, I mean, going, kind of taking her, her look from the 70s, 80s and pushing it into the 90s and early 2000s and um, kind of shifting it into this like, like in your face, bright uh, person. Um, yes, and, uh, Devious has an excellent point. Most recently, um, Iceman uh, was kind of outed as gay. Uh, it was a very interesting and weird and kind of uh, honestly in some ways inappropriate uh, way to do it uh gene gray really really long story uh is that the beast hang mccoy in the present time said we are losing our way we have we have lost our minds about what we're trying to do and what we're trying to accomplish as the x-men i'm gonna go back and i'm gonna bring the original x-men to the present and just talk about like and just kind of have them be like yo what are you doing get your together and realistically speaking all it did was kind of put 60s characters its timeline is very very different you know put 60s characters in the modern day setting and it's like i don't i don't you know they kind of had to deal with it and then jean gray is kind of realizing her abilities at this point because she's 16 and she's talking to Iceman and she says, Bobby, you're gay. And he's just like, what? So like she told him. So like, I thought it was, eh, like it was weird. But ironically, ironically enough, there is a moment. Um, I don't know, I wouldn't even call it a moment. There's a, there's a series of moments from the, the early 2000s where there is a, and I will share this. I will, I will show you guys this moment. So when, they, when, I, when I found that out, I was like, you know what? That makes a lot of sense. And the reason it made a lot of sense is because they had... Can't click on the right stuff. I'm like, why did that not go where I'm trying to go? Um, they, they had a... They, there is an existing uh, gay character. Is I think the first, the first gay comic book character um, was North Star. Really cool power set. Him and his twin sister. Uh, they had speed and, and light, and really cool powers and really cool character. Uh, a lot of weird history because they're, they were members of the Alpha, Alpha Alpha Flight, which is a Canadian superhero team. Which, all in all, made it just like a really really interesting setup. Welcome all, all the new viewers. Chaos Theory, how are you doing? Um, so it was very interesting to see that. Um, you had, why is that happening? Let's, let's close Firefox. I feel like my, my camera, I feel like a jerk. I've been clicking on that. Let's see. Turn off, turn back on. There we are. Okay. Hopefully that'll stay that way. Um, there is a, there's a moment where North Star hits on Iceman. And he, and again, this at the time may have meant nothing, but just the way they portrayed it, 
Bobby, I call him Bobby, like, like I'm friends with him, you know, uh, Bobby just objected so much. Uh, I'm glad to hear you're doing well, Chaos Theory. Uh, we're talking comics today. We talked about uh, these three books, um, and then now we're talking kind of more generally speaking. Um, I'm trying to find a specific example. Um, I was right around this time, actually. Let's see, Trial Juggernaut. Hmm. Well, I am. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to say that I am the source of uh, of, of things. Oh, excellent storyline, by the way. This, if you want to read an excellent Juggernaut story, uh, the what was it called? What was it called the Draco? The Draco was an excellent Nightcrawler story. Uh, I think it actually comes in in a volume, um, but it was also. Where is it? Let's see here. Would have been around here. There it is, right here. Perfect. Yes, that was very, very good. So let's go ahead and switch to the display. Um, so right here, everyone thinks you and North. And that's that's Iceman in the middle there. She says everyone thinks North Star and I are dating, even though he's openly homosexual. North Star's gay? What? Like, he didn't know. For some reason, Iceman's been around for, you know, 30 years. At this point, I think it had been about 30 years since they had re revealed that I, uh, he was gay. And uh, she's like, you're kidding me? She says, how could you not know? She's like, you're a homophobe and a racist. And it's like, I have never been a racist. And because she, she's human. Uh, and that was the thing. Yeah, and it was just like the way he was, the way he was like super, super against it. And I just thought it was funny when people when people told me like, oh, they they said Iceman's gay, and I said, you know that makes sense because there's this scene where like he was super offended, like super duper offended by being called homophobe, and I was like, so like that kind of it kind of like ties back around. I don't want to say that it was planned. I don't want to say that it was intended. Hello, Blaster. How are you doing today? Welcome to the broadcast. We're talking comics. Um, so I just thought it was very funny. It was, it was one of those, I feel like, unintentional uh, changes uh, to the canon that kind of explains things in the past. And, and that happens on occasion. You'll, you'll do a, um, what are they called? I always forget. Um, ah, retro something. Oh, my goodness. I can't even think of these terms anymore. Retcon, yeah, Devious got it. I, Devious is my, my, my backup here in the room. Uh, yeah, but you'll, you'll do a retcon, but like it makes sense to do like for the, some of the weird stuff that happened in the middle. You know, you look at some of the Captain America stuff. You look at some of the, the like Cyclops things. When they say certain things about Cyclops like from his youth, and it's like they added this new thing, like, oh, this happened in his youth. And you're like, okay, I can see that. It, it works. Like, it makes sense. Like, kind of, this was a weird moment in his history where, they, like, you know, a new writer kind of said, let's take Cyclops in this direction, or whatever, you know, the character doesn't matter. You know, let's take uh, Wonder Woman in this direction, and then five, ten years later, someone says, all right, well, there's this backstory from Wonder Woman that, like, you guys didn't know about here, but here's my kind of take on it, but then that story inadvertently explains that other kind of weird pivot. So, it happens all the time. I just thought this was a really, really funny one. But yeah, so, like, in the early 2000s uh, and into now, uh, the X-Men kind of became more of a um, stand-in for the LGBTQ community. And I thought it was very, very interesting uh, when they changed them. Um, they, 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 well, not, they, they didn't change them. They changed their focus. So because of 
a lot of politics in the movie side of things. Uh, X-Men being under the Fox brand, um, Disney having ownership of the Marvel stuff. Um, There was actual changes happening in the comics because of that, unfortunately. Uh, Fantastic Four, the first Marvel comic was canceled because X-Men or uh, X-Men and Fantastic Four were under the Fox banner. So essentially what Marvel Marvel's position was, we're not going to give them free story ideas. We're not going to sit here, make comics for years on end and just essentially feed Fox information on how to write good good, you know, Fantastic Four movies and X-Men stuff. So what they did in in the comics uh and you see it in in the show like if you watch uh, Agents of Shield, uh Inhumans was intended to be a movie. Inhumans was intended to be a way bigger part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe uh, because they had made this hard pivot in the comics for the Inhumans being the persecuted group. Um, It was weird because that made a completely, completely different um, analogy. The, The Inhumans, welcome Horeb, uh, that made a completely different analogy because, you know, the, the mutants, the X-Men, were born that way. They have no control over it. They have no, you know, they are who they are and how they are. They, you know, if they're born with a horn, they're born with a horn. That's just what they got to deal with for the rest of their life. Uh, versus the Inhumans, they have to go through a procedure to gain their abilities and to, to be who they are. So even the, the ones that end up looking freaky and having, you know, physical deformities and things like that, Essentially, it was a choice. So when they made that pivot in the comics, it was a very, very controversial thing. Like, so the people who kind of look at comics with a deeper scope, like myself and others, it was a very, very weird thing to pivot on because it turned from here are these people who really kind of function as a really good stand-in for all these other social issues that we're trying to tackle without just like making comic books about. Pardon, pardon me. I just. I, I touched the microphone. I apologize. That probably hurt some ears. <laughs> it, it, it turned it from here's this really good stand-in, and to to this completely th- different thing. Like you know, the Inhumans can't be used as a stand-in for for the gay community, for the for the LGBTQ community, for the the, the black community. They just can't because Inhumans make a choice to go down that path. Like they could always, they're born, all inhumans are born human. They go through a process to gain their abilities to essentially unlock their genetics. And that's, that's the difference. And and that's why, um, that, that kind of hard line pivot in the comics. Didn't they pivot into being born that way? I mean, they are born that way. They're born inhuman, but they're, they're born, um, but they're born physically, like, they don't display any powers. Like, nothing normal, nothing daily could cause them to display their powers or to display their, to display any physical deformities. They have to go through a process called teragenesis, where they're exposed to a crystal, which essentially is a catalyst, which works with their biology to then give them powers and give them physical deformities. Um, it, it's just, the, the difference is you're physically born with it, and, 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 uh, mutants, X-Men, and all mutants around them, th- when th- they're born mutant, at some point, regardless of what happens, 
they're going to get powers. <laughs> Magneto's, I think, from what I understand, Magneto's was probably the latest. The latest. Uh, no. Are, are you talking about the uh, Inhuman series? Blaster, if you're talking about the Inhuman series, if you remember, they still had to go through Terragenesis. They had to, uh, they had to be exposed in that chamber to the crystal, and that's Terragenesis. So no one was born. Yeah, no, no one was born with their physical deformities. Right, but a devious, I understand that. And a gay, a gay person would still have to make the choice to to present themselves that way to the world. However, that doesn't change who they are. That doesn't physically, mentally change who they are. So it doesn't make them not gay by being in the closet. That's that's the difference. Um, you know, it's the difference is like Cyclops can wear his shades for the rest of his life and never show anyone he has his powers. But that doesn't make him not there. He was born with that. He once they activated, they activated. That was the end of the story. Like they. That was it. And some, for some mutants, it's, you know, the, the powers happen at birth. Like some, some mutants are born with powers, like right out the gate. Some mutants, it takes a long time. It takes, <laughs> right, some mutants aren't that lucky though. Exactly. You have, uh, Mero is one of my favorite kind of troubled uh, X-Men characters and she has physical bone growths and that's just it. Like there, you can't, <laughs> you can't like not see it. You can't not see who she is and what she is. So that's the difference, you know, and that's, that's where the, the stand in for the black community is like black people are black people. There's, there is no, like, you can't like come out as black. <laughs> like, uh, it's just, yes, yeah, so, some mutants will, will be outed. Um, some mutants are just always going to be outed. There's no, there's no chance. Like, you know, Jean Grey could potentially walk around her entire life and no one could know that she's a mutant. If she can control like her being able to read people's thoughts and all that stuff, she could walk around her entire life and no one would know. But that wouldn't change the fact that she's a mutant. And I think that's why the X-Men were a perfect kind of stand-in for these uh, persecuted groups in, in our society versus the, the inhumans who you know, physically have to go through an external process to actually be something other than everyday looking and everyday people. So, that is, that is the deep... The deep dive there. <laughs> the the whole mutant thing is metaphorical. How do you uh, how do you how do you how do you? Th let, me, let me rephrase my question. What do you mean by that, Devious? I, I I couldn't think of my phrasing. You should you should blaster. You should absolutely go into the uh, into the comics for for X Men. It's it's a it's a rich and deep history. And really, if you want some, if you want some uh, recommendations, I can absolutely. Well, of course, yeah. I mean, the, the mutants are the metaphor for persecuted groups in our society, so they're the, the the metaphor for for black people. You know, in the '60s and '70s, the civil rights movement. The whole idea was that the X Men were fighting for equality. That's it. And now it's just kind of pivoted to other uh, persecutor groups. That's all. That's all. That's, that's all it's been. Absolutely, mind blaster. What is your question?
Oh, it was absolutely intentional. It was absolutely intentional. Um, there is debate to what level. Um, obviously, the only person that could physically know is Stan Lee. He wrote it. Um, but even he's gone so far as to say that it was meant to be a metaphor. It was meant to be a metaphor for the civil rights movement. Uh, that's why he made uh, Magneto the militant version of Xavier, which is all it was is Martin Luther King Jr. compared to Malcolm X. So we take the inhuman transformation to a metaphor level, that will be the act of coming out. But see, I, I, I disagree, Devious, only because if the inhuman teragenesis never happens, they're physically human. It's not like they're hiding anything. It's not like they're forced to hide anything. They can walk up and down the street. Nothing will ever happen. Like Nothing will ever accidentally out them because they can't be accidentally outed. They physically have to make a choice to participate in a, in a transformative procedure to become something that is then considered persecuted. If a gay person ever comes out, they will never become... But, but they are gay. Like, like, if someone's gay, they're gay. That's just what it is. It's not... Coming out is just telling people about it. Like, coming out is just sharing. Like, if I never told people I like comics, that wouldn't change the fact that I like comics. That's still my thing. If I never told people, that wouldn't make me not a fan of comics. You know what I mean? It's still who I am. I mean, I guess the, the, the comparison in like the, the digital world is if I only did videos, let's say with the top down view and you guys never saw me, that wouldn't make me not fat. <laughs> like that, that, would, that would still be who, who I am and what, what I look like. So if, you, if I never had a face reveal video, you know, back in the day when we first started our YouTube channel, that wouldn't make me not fat. <laughs> that wouldn't make me any any different person than I am. You know, if we just did pans and voiceovers for all our videos ever, um, that wouldn't change anything. That's kind of the difference. Uh, what's the what's the one channel we? I was just talking to somebody about this. Um, Blaster, I think you were talking about this. What was the channel where they just did a face reveal, but then the face reveal was li a lie because the whole thing is a lie. Um, how to basic, yeah. How to basic is a channel where it's it's you never see the person or persons involved, but the fact that we don't see them doesn't make them not who they are. So whoever they are, whatever their physicality is, whatever you know their personality is, that doesn't change who they are because we don't see them. So they don't ever have to show us their faces or face. Um, Well, I think the point of the metaphor is to to have an apt representation. If you're going to use, if you're going to use a group that has to make a a physical choice, essentially make a physical choice to be something that's undesirable, that is not a good representation. That is not a good metaphor for some for for a group of people that is, doesn't get to make that choice.
I hope you, I hope you understand my meaning. It, it's just, it's a, I'm not saying that it's not a metaphor. It still can be a metaphor. I'm just saying that it's a bad metaphor. It's, it's, it is not an apt metaphor if you use a group that, phys- that has to make a choice to do something that makes them undesirable versus a group that is quote unquote undesirable by society by the f- sheer fact of existing. <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't, I don't know if, uh, I don't know if that's a, um, I don't know if that's an okay term, honestly. Um, um, but I, I have spoken to, uh, here's the thing. If you don't commit, you'll never reach the peak of, being what you are. If you don't commit, you'll never reach the peak of being what you are. Right. But I mean, the peak, no one's talking about the peak. No one's, no one's talking about, you know, being the best of something. We're just talking about being that thing. That's not, but again, it's not reaching the possibilities. It's, it's a physical, like it's a physical change. That's what I'm saying. I'm just, I'm just saying, I think, I think we're kind of going too deep into it. The difference, the difference is, I know you were inhuman and you transformed the same as being. The same as being gay. Um, if you know you are inhuman and you need to transform, but you don't need to transform. That's the thing. It's not a necessity. People don't, like, inhumans do not need to go through teragenesis. They absolutely do not. They do as a choice because of the potential abilities and powers that they're going to get. And that puts them because of the society that, that the inhumans live in. It's a caste, caste system. Um, the chance to not be a worker, worker be essentially to potentially be a soldier or, um, you know, defense force or, which is, I think potentially the same thing, you know, a politician or a planner or whatever, the chance to be something more than than your class lies in this physical transformation and that's different that's different than how many gays repress what they are right but again like i said it's not and that's the, that's the difference the the physical transformation of an inhuman is in all in all by, by all rights it's randomness right it's it's their particular genetics combined with the catalyst, create XYZ feature. The physical transformation itself is the metaphor. I disagree. I disagree only because, again, it's, it's the difference of choosing to do something, choosing to be something. If I make the physical conscious decision to work out, and choose to be as skinny and fit and healthy as I possibly can, that's a choice I'm making. The difference is I can't choose to be short. I'm six foot five. That's, that's the difference. It's taking a physical action to be different versus your genetics. I am genetically tall. I am not genetically fat and I can change that through physical effort. giving into your genes but you're you're not it's not your again you're not giving into your genes you're just choosing to take a physical action to change yourself 
And that is the difference. That, that is the, the inherent difference. It is the choice of, 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 it's not, it's societal. Like I don't have to be skinny. I don't have to work out. I don't have to be fit, but society doesn't like fat people. Let's be honest for the the, society doesn't like fat people. So like societally, it would be easier for me to be a skinny dude because people would probably be more comfortable around me. Just generally speaking. For this decade. So you're saying, you're saying what the people are choosing to be gay because it's cool for this decade. Cause I mean, that's, then that's the, that's the, that's the statement you're making. I don't think anyone's choosing to be gay because it's cool because it might give them an advantage. And I, and that's, that's the inherent fact of the inhuman condition is the inhumans choose to go through a physical transformation because of the potential benefit they're going to get. You choose not to, re- you choose to reveal yourself. Yeah, right. You choose to reveal yourself. Not, it's not a physical, like it doesn't physically change who you are. You can not, you can never date. And that doesn't mean that you're, that you hate people. But like, if you, it doesn't, but it changes your personality yourself. That's the metaphor. But it doesn't change your personality. You're still who you are. It doesn't change your mental. It just changes your physical. I mean, if, if we're looking at inhumans uh, as they've been portrayed, you do phys- maybe you do physically change, ask a repressed gay person. Um... I don't believe that biologically there may be actions that you take differently and and other things that, but like physically, biologically, you do not change. Emotionally, yes, sure. But like if, if I have a near death experience tomorrow, I would have an emotional change. I would deal with life differently. I'm sure. That's, that's emotional and mental is different. I'm talking about a physical change. And I think that's the difference. Choosing to, to out yourself, to choosing to come out as gay doesn't change the fact. It doesn't make you then gay. Like it doesn't make you, we're discussing the transformation in humans go through can be a metaphor to take action into your hands and do it that's a very i'm not again uh, blaster i'm not saying that it's not a metaphor uh i'm saying that it's a bad metaphor i'm not saying that it's not a metaphor i'm saying that it's a bad metaphor um but and, and again i i will counter i will counter your point in humans who do not go through teragenesis do not have abilities, are not in any way anything other than baseline humans. That's it. 
It's not something you've always been. Um, I will challenge that because being fat is not written in my genes for sure. There was a mother was skinny. My father was not a fat man. He was a large man, which is why I'm six foot five. I'm not saying that there aren't genetically larger people, but the, 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 condition of being fat is not I'm not saying that it's not that it can't be out of your control there are some uh, genetic conditions that are abnormalities thyroid issues etc that can cause you to be overweight um, that cause your body to handle food differently I'm saying humans born of inhuman blood can become inhumans Yes, they are born baseline humans and there is a external component that has to be, it has to be, there is no ifs, ands, or buts about it, an external component has to be introduced into their system for them to gain abilities. The difference, and that, that is the inherent difference, an external component has to be introduced into their genetics for them to become something other than baseline human. Mutants don't need an external catalyst. They are born genetically different than humans. They have an extra gene. And they, by definition, are going to be different. They don't have to take any actions to do it. They don't have to do anything except live their normal lifespan. And they will inherently, biologically, be different. That's the difference. A inhuman born without any abilities does not have to go through teragenesis. They could leave, live out their life, and die baseline human with, without any, anything that could tell them apart from an, an, an everyday baseline human that is not born of inhumans. Bye, Abigator. Thank you for hanging out. So I'm, I'm not, again, I'm not saying that it's not, <laughs> uh, I'm not saying that it's not a metaphor. It can absolutely be used as a metaphor. I just, I just think it's a bad metaphor. need to choose to transform is kind of a good one right but it, you, you don't get to choose to become gay you don't get to choose to become black <laughs> like you don't wake up one morning and be like man you know what I think I'm gonna be black even let's say people who are born with white pigmentation who have a grandmother or a mother or grandfather that is black they don't get to wake up and choose to be dark-skinned black. They don't. Ever. <laughs> That's not a choice they can make. But you can choose to come out and take a stand, absolutely, but that's different. That is an emotional state. That is a, that is a societal state. 
Inhumans can't choose to become a soldier. They can't choose to become a politician. Right? They can't make those choices. They have to make a physical transformation to even have a chance to then make that pivot. You can be black and be beaten all day long, but it takes the decision to take a stand. We're too fixed on the transformation being physical, but that's that's the entire that's the entire <laughs> thesis I am presenting. That mutants are an excellent metaphor for people who are born a certain way. Because they are born a certain way. Because they have to go through their life that way. Nothing, nothing will change that. Inhumans do not have to go through life the way they are born. They get to make a decision and make a choice to do something different biologically. That's it. The transformation is the metaphor. I disagree. Again, the metaphor is invalid because it is a physical change. They get to choose to be something different. I can't choose to be gay. <laughs> like, I can't choose to be black. I can choose to be skinny, but that doesn't change the fact that I'm tall. That, that, is, that is the difference. I'm, I wasn't born an inhuman. That's correct. <laughs> but no inhumans are born with abilities. No, no inhumans are born with abilities or born with physical deformities. They're just not. They have to take, essentially they have to take a drug. No person is specifically born gay. We're going to have to firmly disagree on that, sir. Coming out of the closet is a physical action, but it's it's physiological metaphor. Coming out of the closet is not a physical action. Again, they're not like flipping a switch and becoming gay. (laughs) Psychological. Yes, it is a psychological action. It's, it's, they're, they're sharing their, their, their being with others. They're sharing who they are with others. Nothing forces them to do that. They don't have to do that. I'm missing the point. Enlighten me, my friend. The fact that inhumans are making physical transformations. Yes. Doesn't mean that the metaphor has to be a physical transformation. Sure, it doesn't have to be, but then it makes it a bad metaphor. Creatively, from from a writing standpoint, from from a purely observational uh, um, from a purely you know observing observing that as a story is a less poignant less specific and less impactful metaphor than having something represent 
something that is very similar in every way. Right. You may think it's a good metaphor, and that's your choice. I'm saying objectively, from a writing standpoint, it is a bad metaphor. You may subjectively think that is an okay metaphor, or a good metaphor even. Subjectively, we will disagree, but objectively, when looking at how to write and how to create a metaphor... Being a man who's sexually attracted to other men can be on your genes, but becoming gay is a decision. What? Are you differing? Are you differing the actual state of homosexuality and the, what, societal, I don't even know, like, you're differing being gay and being gay. Again, becoming gay is not a decision. <laughs> I don't. I, don't I, I firmly do not believe that becoming gay is a thing. You can't become gay. It's not. You you can't. You cannot become gay. You said becoming gay is a decision. It is not. <laughs> Empirically. But that's what you said. So what are you trying to say? Why don't you say what you're trying to say, sir? <laughs> not oh i'm gonna read that for the purpose of record you're saying i think that what the other buddy was trying to say is that you don't go quote full gay unquote as long as you don't assume because you are hiding there is no such thing as full gay i i don't know what you mean by full gay let me re rephrase that No, no, no. I think, I think, I actually genuinely think that you're arguing the semantics. One either is gay or is not gay. There is no state of not being gay. And not not being gay. <laughs> like, you're either heterosexual or, well, granted, in the specific example, there are other options. Um, there are other uh, terms, rather. But you're either heterosexual or homosexual. Specifically in this example, there are there are other. I wasn't talking as being gay as likes people the same sex, but that's what being gay means. Like that that is what it means. Be being gay is liking people of the same gender, sex. Yeah. But you can't give it a different meaning. It's what it means. <laughs> I 
LGBT. Right, that's you're absolutely right, Devious. Uh, LGBTQ inherently contains more than just gay-straight dichotomy, and that's 100% true. That's why I was saying in this specific example, the, the condition of gay is that it's it's one or the other. It's you're not just you can't again. It's not it's a, not a choice. It's not a choice that you can't just turn it on. Blaster, it appears, was trying to give the na the, the term gay a different meaning. <laughs> Did you assume that it's a condition? Scientific terminology, Blaster, the condition of being anything. The condition of the light switch being turned on. Condition as a scientific term, not a medical condition. Anyway. <laughs> uh... There's the act of coming to terms with your sexuality, absolutely. Uh, but again, uh, that's not a that's not a physical change. That's a, that's a personality change. That's a, that's a you grow as a human being. That's that's different. You know, there's me coming to terms with my anger problems. <laughs> that's that I think is another uh, that I think is another you know it's a, it's a personality thing. It's 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 something you can choose to go through and choose to to undertake. Uh, it's not. Something that you, I don't think specifically, I, I think personally, I, I believe that any action you take to, 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 to change yourself makes you grow as a human being. If you, if you, if you evolve in any way personally, um, you know, your actions, your, your, your motivations, your, Really, anything you know. If you, if you take up, if you if you decide that your time management is garbage, and you say, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna get that under control and become better at time management," I think you've grown as a human being. But that's that's more subjective than anything else. You said earlier that then that makes uh, that makes any kind of comic metaphor trash. I disagree. Again, this particular change uh, of of using the X-Men as the metaphor for uh, oppressed groups in our society and switching to the Inhumans, that was particularly, I think, a poor choice on the creative. But I think that was a choice driven 100% by money. It was not driven by a creative um, impulse. It was, it, was, it was a decision made to essentially prevent, prevent Fox from getting new storylines. <laughs> That's all that was. The X-Men didn't turn into Inhumans, but in the comics, uh, Marvel made a hard focus pivot. Um, if you look at the 90s, early 2000s, uh, up until about, I'd say, 2010, 2011, um, the X-Men were the main thing. They were the highest selling books. There was the most books of the X-Men. Um, and they were they were the focus uh, because they were the most popular. And there's just, there's just no way around that. That was just factual numbers. They made a hard pivot into presenting the Inhumans in way more books. They changed key characters, core characters, into Inhumans. They, uh, uh, Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch were turned into Inhumans in the comics 
and I turned, I mean like they found out that they were actually inhumans and not mutants, which d destroys. It was a it was a hard retcon that destroys their entire past. Honestly, turns out they're not even Magneto's kids. You know, like th th it was just like a hard retcon, and to then still be able to use these characters in the movies. It was it was a 100% monetarily driven decision. Had nothing to do with creativity. Had nothing to do with driving a good story forward. It was just like we need mutants because mutants are popular. We can't use mutants, so let's use Inhumans in the 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 Marvel Cinematic Universe. I honestly think once slash if this Fox purchase goes through. Um, I think we're going to see a, ma a mad shift back to the X-Men. Uh, most people do not like the Inhumans as much as they like the X-Men um, because they're a completely different storyline. They're a completely different storyline. They're a completely different way of telling stories. Uh, and I think most people that read comics that read X-Men did not jump on the Inhuman train. And I think once the, the X-Men the X-Men movie rights are back under the Disney rights... Are, are uh, I was thinking it was a complete different storyline. No, 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 no. It's 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 all related. It's all in the comics. It's all one universe, and hopefully now with uh, the the purchase of Fox by Disney, uh, that will put everything under the Marvel banner, uh, and theoretically we should probably we'll we'll almost certainly see another Fantastic Four comic book, uh, and we will probably see the resurgence of the X Men as the focus in the in the comics. Yeah, that's 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 kind of the the, th the thing about this having movie stuff and, and comic books. Most comic series are one specific universe. Well, most, uh, let's see, well, the, the, Marvel, the Marvel books, all the primary Marvel comics are all Universe 616. Marvel Universe 616, uh, the Marvel Cinematic Universe is a different number. I'm actually curious now that you bring that up. It's a different Earth, it's a different uh, universal number, uh, Earth number, rather. Marvel MCU Earth number. Earth 1999.99. That is the Marvel Cinematic Universe, I believe. Let me take a look. Yep. Earth 1999.99. Uh, the primary comic book universe is Earth 616. Yeah, I, 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 I'm a big fan of the fact that they gave our Earth a number. Uh, our Earth. Our Earth is... 1218? Yep, 1218. Earth-1218 is the designation, designation given to our realities where superheroes and other superpower beings don't exist. <laughs> this universe may appear somewhat dull from a cerebral perspective, but it does have its good sides for those willing to recognize them. I love that. I love that description. <laughs> It may seem boring, but there's good stuff. That's funny. 
Yeah, an alternate version of this universe, of our universe, was seen in the last episode of the amaz or the uh, the animated Spider-Man series from the '90s, because he actually went to meet Stan Lee, his creator. He literally went to meet his creator. It was dope. Yeah, and Deadpool has the ability to see through the reality veil at us. Fun fact, so did, uh, so did She-Hulk. For many, many years, there's actually some of the best... Like, Deadpool's are Deadpool stuff is more uh, kind of crude jokes and observational, but like, She-Hulk almost kills a reader. It was, an it was just like a brilliant, brilliant moment. Uh, she got, she gets upset. She gets upset. There it is. <laughs> I'm going to share this. Hold on. Right here. Oh, come on. There it is. Oh my goodness. Yeah, so, he, she actually talks to the writer. She says, since when is he married? Since now, I suppose. This is the first time it's ever mentioned. What? Burn? What kind of game are you playing? Jennifer, control yourself. We're inked and colored, printed. There's a reader out there now. <laughs> I love it. I love it. It's one of my favorite moments. Yeah, it, it's... Uh, She-Hulk was, I think... I want to say the... I don't want... Maybe not the first, but one of the first... Certainly, I think, the first Marvel uh, hero that had that ability. But yeah, they, they've brought that back over the years a little bit. But yeah, she has a she has that ability too. It's it's kind of amazing. So is twelve twenty, friends. It's uh, it's been about an hour and a half, roughly. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna end it here today. I know Blaster just left because he needed food, and uh, I hope he comes back before we're done here. But uh, I have to get ready for work, and uh, it's been a very, very interesting conversation, very insightful in many ways. I appreciate your time and hanging out with me, and uh, we're going to do this again next week, uh, next Wednesday, probably around the same time, possibly a little earlier, uh, but yeah, we're going to be doing this, and then I will actually be doing this as a podcast and video next week, so video and podcast will be a week behind, uh, and that's going to be on the T3G, T3G Tangents channel on YouTube and uh, the podcast will be linked there as well. So thank you very much for hanging out, Devious. Thank you very much for the follow, Devious. I appreciate that. Uh, thanks for hanging out. Uh, tomorrow, if you're interested in business, in turning your passion into a business, tomorrow evening, um, haven't settled on a time just quite yet. I have something else that I need to do in the, in the uh, physical world out here, but uh, I'm gonna be meeting with uh, Jordan from HCT Media talking about uh, pursuing your passion as a business. Um, but again, that'll also be next Thursday. It'll be available through the channel. So if you aren't going to be there, Devious, I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, but then you will be absolutely able to watch the video and uh, listen to the podcast the following week. 7.20 p.m. Oh, goodness. You are on the other side of the planet. <laughs> well, friend, enjoy dinner then and uh, have a good night. And uh, we'll be around. We'll be around. 6.20 for Mind Blaster. Yeah, so you guys are you guys are nearby. You guys are close. So that's going to be it for today. Thank you for hanging out on panels on pages. Next week, next week we'll have to. Uh, I think I think we're going to bring somebody on. And uh, nothing is close in Europe. That's fair. That's fair. My my closest time zone is about an hour drive east. Uh, I don't I don't think it's quite that easy over there. Uh, <laughs> 
Thank you again for hanging out. We'll see you guys in the next one.